It is uh, lovely to be with you guys this morning. I feel like I haven't been here. It's been like over a year. Huh? So there's a couple of new faces that I've seen, and uh, yeah. So I just I want to get in quickly into what I, the message that I'm carrying. I, I feel like God is doing something. I even feel those prophetic words are quite instrumental in terms of what the Lord wants to in and do through you as a community, as a church. And um, how many of you have a deep sense that the world is running out of time very quickly? That we're running to the end very, very fast. Uh, and that it's not going to be long. And the Bible tells us we'll see him returning in the clouds, uh, have, wrapping it all up. And we've got this between now and then. What the Bible speaks about is actually quite a formidable time for Christianity because we're seeing it, we're sensing it. Increasingly, there's a hostility towards Jesus, towards the, the true church. A lot of churches compromising to try and stay relevant or to try and you know, stay alive. And, uh, and it's a time of, of great turmoil. And uh, the danger in those times is that we get intimidated by what's happening out there and we shrink back and we, in a sense, hide our light. We, we, we end up getting a little bit like, sure, I just got to get to the end. But that is not what God called you and me to do. God didn't call us to hide our light. He called us to be bold and to be brave and to specifically go out with more and more zeal upon us. And I love that prophetic word of George. You know, these crowds of people that should be intimidating. But when the lion roars, the crowds run in terror. And actually, I want to remind you as God's people that you and I are called to be those hidden in the lion, and that our roar should influence nations. Nations should not influence us. We should be influencing the world with the kingdom of God, with the message of the gospel, not letting the message of the world creep more and more into how we read our Bible and how we see God. And so I feel like God wants to put a roar in us. And, and part of this morning's message is, uh, in some ways, as you go out, and I hope, I hope this, that not one of you in this congregation are going to be able to sit in the comfort of your seat and enjoy goosebumps among us. My hope is that over time, you will grow and mature until you come into the fullness of what it is God called you to do. Because the Bible says that the kingdom only comes when every single part of the body does its unique part. And the kingdom of God will not come to the earth unless you and I, every one of us, come into that which Christ called us to do. You have a purpose, and it's beyond your nine-to-five job. It's beyond being married. It's beyond your kids. It's to see the kingdom of God come to the earth. And in some of the things as, you, as we prepare you, and I'm hoping as we train and equip that we're not just you know, going through courses, but that we are in some ways trying to equip you so that you can get out there and do what he's called you to do. But part of it is also that when you're out there, that you know the truth well enough so that you don't get influenced. Because actually, uh, the devil is very, very clever. The world uh, is uh, very, very sneaky. And the ways that the world thinks can very easily drift into the way we think if we're not careful. But we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We're Christians. We've died. We've been born again to a new life. And we no longer live the way the world does. We no longer live the way we used to in the world. We're now entirely new. So I want to pick up on an interesting subject um, to try and root us in uh, an aspect. And in some ways, a lot of what's happening right now around us is there's an indoctrination of society, of culture through media, through propaganda, through you know, all sorts of activist socialist groups that are shaping the way the world thinks. In fact, there's even now, the, the, do you know that the world does discipline? 
If you don't think the way they think and you run a business, they will penalize you. They will punish you. They'll shut you down. And so increasingly, there's a, like a, almost a world discipline that happens around us. If you don't align to the thinking of every man, you will be punished. How many of you know that? Even to be a Christian right now in the UK, one of the questions they often are asking in the United Kingdom when you come for job interviews, what are your beliefs? And if you come out of the closet that you're a Christian, there's a very good chance you're not going to get the job. Because, uh, because you, you might in some ways damage the business. You might some way you know, say something that would offend somebody. Media will pick up on this. The, that business is suddenly all over the news. Uh, it's losing money. It's losing shares. And so in some ways there's an intimidation of the church and of its thinking. But we will not bow down like Daniel of old. We're not going to bow down. Uh, we know him who provides. We know him who keeps us. We know whom has called us, and we don't care for the things of this world anyway. They're nice to have, but at the end of the day, this life is like, and it's over. We live for something beyond this life. So one of the things I wanted to do, therefore, I want to in some ways build uh, uh, this morning, touch on a subject that I'm hoping will root you well in an aspect of God's Word, so that, because you see, the days are coming where we won't be here. Either because we're gone or because you're gone. <laughs> and when I mean gone, it could mean gone somewhere on the earth. It could be gone to heaven. But if we're gone to heaven and you're still behind, and some of you young guys, I hope you are around a long time after we're gone if the Lord doesn't return. But you've got to take these things and you've got to run with them. You've got to know them. You've got to know them so well that when the devil comes to you as an angel of light, that you can go, nah, I know what this is. I know what this is about. Uh, I've been trained and taught well. So I want to pick up a subject that I've not, I, I hadn't, I realized I'd never taught on it, which is quite shocking. Until last Saturday morning, the day before Mother's Day, I felt I don't normally teach around a thing like Mother's Day, but I thought, well, let me just, Lord, what do you want to do? And I, I went through my notes just seeing if I had anything on mothers, and to my shame, I'd never taught on mothers. And I thought, oh my goodness. That's a profoundly scary thing that I've, I've taught on fathers, I've taught on the father heart of God, but there is an aspect of God that's reflected in moms that I want us to see, and in some ways, it's going, what I'm going to share with you hopefully will root you in a proper biblical understanding of womanhood, of what it is to be a man, of what it is to be a mother, and the wonderful thing is this, the Bible says creation reveals His glory. Do you know that being a mom, or a woman even, both, you are called to reflect the glory of God in a very unique way? And so this is mostly for the ladies, but for the men, actually, let's look at God and see what we learn about Him through those beautiful things sitting all around us called women. I've I got to say this, the one difference between humans and the animal world, in the animal world, the males are the pretty ones. <laughs> in the human world... It's the women that are the beautiful ones. And God has given a beauty to women here that is, uh, is again, a beautiful, it's different from everything around them. Um, but uh, let's look at this. So the backdrop to this, as I mentioned, is the world getting increasingly evil. Uh, the Bible talks about a great rebellion towards the end. It seems to imply that Christianity will spread across much of the globe, and then there will be a rebellion, a turning away from the Christian faith, more towards uh, what the Bible would call an antichrist. An antichrist simply meaning 
resisting Christ, resisting the ways of God, and that the nations will increasingly bow to this way of thinking. The Bible tells us many, I mean, with the vaccines that have come out and COVID, I mean, the big hot subject in most Christians thinking was, is this the mark of the beast? Is that vaccine a mark of the beast? Is this, because the Bible says there's a, a mark that will be given to all those that are in the world, 666, we'll look at it just now, and that mark will mark you as actually belonging to the world. But if you get that mark, the Bible tells us that you will then be separated from God, and God will give you a different mark. Uh, um, uh, to what the world gets. And so let's quickly look at Revelation 13, 18. And I know I'm starting at a strange place for moms, but I, I do think that it's important that we... Uh, yeah. <laughs> this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. This beast is this world system that will indoctrinate the way everyone thinks and even get into much of the church. The Bible talks about a great falling away within the church, a great compromise, a great deception that will come over to church. So don't be surprised if churches around us are folding very quickly on doctrines, in fact, it is happening very, 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 very quickly. And especially on, we'll touch on this one specifically. So let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And his number is 666. Now, what does that mean? Uh, well, firstly, the Bible tells us that this mark will be on everyone's who takes the mark's forehead or wrist. Really, biblically speaking, that means forehead is the way you think, wrist is the way you act. So what it means effectively is that the world or the, the devil's thinking that infiltrates the world will begin to infiltrate your mind and the way you understand things. And then because your mind has shifted, it'll begin to change the way you act. So your, mind, your forehead and your right hand is simply a sign of the way you think and the way you act. Whether it's a physical mark, I don't know. We'll see when we get there. But I can tell you this. God isn't that interested in physical marks. He's involved in how you think and he's interested in how you act. So the bottom line is the mark is irrelevant to some degree. It's what's behind this that we've got to grapple with. So what does it mean? And, and we, we learn that it's the number of a man. His number is 666. So firstly, uh, the number six is an interesting number. Every, uh, every um, where am I? I've got this mixed up. Every number in the Bible has a meaning. So we know six means something, and three sixes mean something else. What does it mean? Six is actually, if you go look at the Bible, it is the number of man. So man was made on the... Sixth day, and as you go through your Bible, you'll see over and over and over again, man is represented by the number six. Are you back from Holland? Permanent or just short? Are you, short. Two weeks. Nice to have you back. He's been one of our young guys who's been over there serving in the church. Hope we get you back, Bree. They're not going to let you come. We sent him over there, and I know when he went over, they're going to hold on, like, hook him as hard as they can. Anyway, it's good to see you. Um, so, Six, the number of man, but it's actually funny enough, also, the number six in it is, there's this feeling of weakness. It's man, uh, in some ways, a little bit not fully aligned with God. The number three, because there's three sixes, what does the number three mean? Well, the number three means wholeness or completeness. God is Father, Son, and Spirit, three. And so whenever you find the number three in the Bible, we know that it means wholeness or completeness. In Revelation 4 verse uh, 8, could you put up for me? 
here we see in heaven, and we see all these angels and living creatures in all heaven at the end of the day singing to the Lord God. And they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When, that, when it's three times, you know it means what you're effectively saying is you are absolutely, completely the 100% definition of what it is to be holy. So whenever you see three, you know it's complete, it's absolute, it's, it's, not, it's a full, it's, it represents a fullness. So when you get three sixes, what you realize is you've got man, man, man. That's what it means. Man, man, man. Man in his completeness. Man absolutely whole in the sense within himself. Man separated from God and actually learning to do it by himself. In some ways, it represents uh, the best system of governance and culture that man, mankind can produce without God. So you'll have a world that it develops its own morality, its own value system, its own culture, separated from God. And it'll be such a complete system that it'll spread across the entire world. Every nation, tribe, and tongue will begin to think that way. And it'll actually be a demonic thinking. It'll actually be, okay. So we're up against some uh, formidable stuff. And where it comes from, the root of this man, 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 or this, this culmination of man complete, is in Genesis 3 verse 5, we see when Adam first falls. Adam was the first man that was made, and he and his wife are in the garden. God says to them, you know, obey me, basically. You can do everything you want, but there's one tree I don't want you to eat from. Adam and Eve see the tree. Eve comes along, and the devil comes to her and says to her, uh, why don't you try it? And, and then he says this. To, to Eve, for God knows that when you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. This is the core definition of man becoming rebellious to God. And I want to break that down quickly for us. You, your eyes will be opened. In other words, you will see for yourself. You'll decide how things should work out. You'll be the Lord of your own destiny. You don't need God anymore to let you see. You don't need God to show you. You yourself can decide. The second thing is, like, uh, you'll, ask, you'll be like God. You'll be his equal. You no longer need to remain beneath him as creator and the one who has a king, is a king with a kingdom. You'll be like him. You can rule and reign your own kingdom, your own world, your own way. It doesn't matter what God says because you like him, so you don't have to yield to him. You can do it however you want to do it. And then the third thing, um, knowing good and evil, you will define morality. You'll define what's right and wrong. It doesn't matter what God says. You will now be independent of him. And so you can define for yourself how things should be. You can decide how life should work. You can decide how you'd live your life, by what values. That is the core root of evil. And the Bible says that all mankind, because of Adam's sin, are born with that inside of them. I want to be the Lord of my own destiny. That's why when your three-year-old is playing with his toys and his sister comes along, he's two, and wants to play, he has mine, and he, he fights, and, 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 and you will wrestle with that little spirit, that little soul, to try and teach it the values of obedience and submission. Because inside, there's this inclination towards rebellion, this inclination towards, I'll do it my way. inside of all of us, actually. And the Bible says that in the end times, the entire world will give in to the point that it 
will now begin to do this. And so you'll have that come to its fullness. And what it effectively means is that all mankind's eyes will be opened. We'll see for ourselves. We will be like God. We'll define how we live our lives. No one tell me what to do. Don't tell me. <laughs> Don't tell me anything. And I'll define morality. We'll define morality. We'll decide what's right and what's wrong. I had an interesting conversation with a friend of mine. He's an unsaved guy. And uh, I surf with him. So I've often tried to witness to him. Uh, he lives in Melkworth Strand where I live. And uh, he, he's become quite militant anti-Christian. He was before I met him. And I haven't managed to dent him. Um, he's just militant. Like he just, basically what he does if he's not surfing, he's a professional musician or playing music, is he will just be trolling internet sites and smacking Christians and trying to find anti-Christian propaganda that he'll then try and throw to you. So he posted this on his Facebook page about a, about a week and a half ago, and I'm going to ask you to put that picture up for me um, just to illustrate my point. So this is, in some ways, a picture that encapsulates what I'm talking about. The question is, is it ever right to stone a bride to death because she's not a virgin? So in other words, if a lady's getting married and she, you find out she's not a virgin, is it right that you kill her? And what would your answer be? No, it feels pretty extreme. Jeez, imagine that. That seems wrong. And then it goes on. God thought it was. And he quotes a scripture, Deuteronomy 22, verse 20 to 21. And this is straight out of the Bible. If, however, the charge is true, in other words, that she, she's not a virgin, and no proof of the young woman's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. So what is this saying? saying God is evil. The Christian God can't be good and true and right. How can that be good? How can that be love? And then at the bottom right corner, the website that it comes off of is the Bible, Bronze Age Baloney, and the point of it is, who could believe the Bible? It's, oh, come on. What kind of a God, what kind of a God do you Christians worship? That he would do such a thing. And so what we've effectively got is we saying to God, how dare you? Who do you think you are? That's not right. We, def we judge God. We decide what's right and wrong. And we decide that God is wrong. So I responded to him. I said this. I'm going to read what I said. He said, can you explain this to me? Explain how your God is good with these things. And I said, the simple explanation is that God values human sexuality as a sacred, beautiful thing to be treasured and treated as holy kept for one partner in marriage. This may seem strange to a generation who believe they can live as they want without extreme consequences, but from my perspective, having lived as I wanted to without boundaries for many years and paying later with the destruction of my soul by my actions, I found that God was wise with these boundaries, and I found genuine life once I began to live within them. This law, implying that sexual promiscuity, while seeming fun and innocent, actually is extremely uh, soul-destroying, and damages humanity internally so badly that an extreme safeguard or law is given to protect human dignity and value. In other words, hang on, let's look at this differently. Maybe sex is such a beautiful thing, and God is the creator. He made it that way, that it should be kept for one person in marriage. In some ways, it defines and reflects him and his glory. And it's made to be a beautiful thing. 
But humanity has cheapened that. And we use it now selfishly because it feels good. And we don't love a person enough to actually commit to stay faithful to them to the end. We use people for our own pleasure. And you can say it's love, but actually at the end of the day, maybe sex is far more sacred than you and I dare to imagine. You see, from God's perspective, suddenly, and, 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 and if it's sacred, you should protect it. How do you protect it? You show the consequence. The Bible says the law is a schoolmaster to show us, to teach us. <laughs> so let's jump down into some areas. And again, we're not out here to, to go out. My fight is not to make the world think like Christians. My fight is not to bring Christian morality to the world. My fight is to bring Christ to the world, to preach the gospel that Jesus can come into your heart and that you could be saved. I'm not going to stand on a corner with God hates this or God hates that because God should hate all of us. We're all sinners. <laughs> but at the same time, I need my value system inside. I need to know what God says because those kind of conversations can get very confusing for me as a Christian if I don't keep my wits about me. Does that make sense? So, I mean, we live in a world where right now gender is... Um, well, what is it? Did you see that thing with the, that woman? I think it was one of the politicians in England, and they asked, what is a woman in Parliament? What is a woman? And she said, I don't know. I'm not a biologist. This is like, what is a woman? And this is in British Parliament. These are senior levels of government. I don't know. I'm not a biologist. There were jokes about it afterwards of people standing in rain, and the one person says, is this rain? And the other one says, I don't know. I'm not a meteorologist. It, there is a sense of, there is a sense of, how does this work? And it's a hot subject because people's emotions are involved. There's pain and, and, and lots of things. So how does this work? Uh, and so you've got all these now gender wars that are happening all around us. Here's the thing. God said, um, God said that he made us a certain way, male and female. Uh, he, he put that into us. He made us, and I'll look at it now, in his image, and I, we'll dig into that a little, in a little moment. He made us in his image, male or female. And it's, it's wired into us. And even if inside, that becomes confusing about who I am and how it all works. There's a lot in the world that's confusing. But if I believe God is king and creator and good, then I don't listen to my own understanding because I am not God and I do not define good and evil. That was Adamson. I let him define good and evil. And so even my feelings can betray me. How many of you have betrayed my feelings before? So my feelings can betray me. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. I've learned that. I went my own way. I lived my own way. I lived what felt good to me, and it nearly killed me. So I, I just don't want to live that way anymore because I, trust, I now trust his ways above my own. And even when I don't understand fully, and I do understand this actually, but even if I didn't, I can go, God, you are God. You're creator. I'm created. What am I that I should define right and wrong? So I was in the Alabama recently, 
which is in, in England, or just an island of England. And it was so funny, there was, a, there was a billboard, sad actually, not funny. All people with a womb, this is from government, all people with a womb and women, please make sure you have a, your appointed government's pap smear. All people with a womb and women. I'm like, <laughs> and how, does, how do you have a pap smear if you're in that second? How does that even work? I mean, it is. It's just like, this is getting really confusing now. I don't know, how does this all work out? And so what you find is, again, man independent from God, like God, defining things. Your, your race wars would have similar scenarios that rooted in man's brokenness. But also the most dangerous one for us right now isn't that. Because most, most people, in, and certainly if you come to this kind of church, the likelihood is you probably believe that those, those kind of things are, are wrong. They're not things that we should do. The more dangerous one, though, is the one around the roles of men and women. Because that starts to come deep, and it's much easier to sneak in among us. Is there a difference between us, within the church, within what we're supposed to do, within the family? Is there a difference? And so what you start to find is there's books being written, um, churches in the city being split over the role of men and women. Historically, for 2,000 years, man would be the leader in the family and the leader in the church. Women have a part to play, but it's a different part. She represents a different part of God. But for the first time in 2,000 years, guys take scriptures like there's no longer male, female, slave, free, Hebrew, Greek, are now being used and other scriptures that are being bent to make it sound like actually why should a man be the leader because he's a man? It's sexist, it's patriarchal, it's evil. We're doing exactly the same thing as that. I mean, let's be honest, some of our wives are far cleverer than us. I mean, you, you, I, I was in the E class. <laughs> and in my day, that still meant that you were one of the dumb ones. <laughs> they probably wouldn't do that today for fear of hurting somebody or going to court. But <laughs> here's the thing, though. If God, if God made me as a man, and he made me man, and he made MC a woman, he made us, he, he wove us together, he put destiny into each one of us individually, and then decided in our case, to put us together for what he wanted to do. But we have different roles within that thing. And in some ways, I as a man represent something of God, and she as a woman represents something of God. And I can't actually represent what she does. And she can't properly represent what I can. I mean, maybe just come stand next to me. Okay, I know this is not always the case, but the normal is this. If it comes down to an arm wrestle, who do you think is going to win? If it comes, but let, me jump, let me jump to another thing. If it comes down to making a house beautiful inside, who do you think will win? We're different. And God made us different. And, and each of us reflects, thank you, something of him. Now, the Bible tells us, well, actually, come up here, babes. I'll, I'll let you share that thing. In, 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 um, well, you share, we were just chatting the other day, and MC is just this, I'll, I'll let her share. Oh, uh, um, yeah, Andrew and I was chatting about this whole um, thing that's happening in the world with the women and the mothers and the gender thing. And, and I just said to him, yeah, uh, there is something so evil behind it, behind it. It's a deeper evil agenda that meets the eye. Because the Bible says in James 3 verse 16, 
When you find selfish ambition and envy, okay, I want to do it my way, I don't want it God's way, I'm envy, why can't I be, have those roles or whatever? The Bible says where you find that, you find um, disorder and every evil practice. And so when there is uh, God's ordinance, His commandments, His, His, um, uh, His ways are so pure and holy, if we, if we come... If, we, if it's a disorder, it breaks open impurity. And I mean, we've seen it in marriages. You can see when there's a disorder in marriage, you see the chaos, the manipulation, even witchcraft that happens there. So there's an evil that comes with that. And, um, and the enemy strategy is for us to bow under that thing, to fall for that thing, because he wants to unleash more demonic influence on the earth. It's, um, yeah, it's an evil thing. So envy and selfish ambition, envy being I want what he can do, and I want it for myself. Why, why must I submit to my husband? I mean, sometimes he's a total nana. I don't always feel that safe with him. I, I, you know, why? Well, because if God is God, you reflect something of the nature of God. When you struggle that part of your own flesh, your own desire, and you make it subject to Christ, and you'll find blessing. You'll bring blessing onto your family. You'll actually bring the presence of God into your family if you learn to do it God's way. But if in fear you pick up your life, you try and save it. I don't trust you. I'm going to resist you as a husband. I don't, I'm going to fight you on things. You bring disorder. And with it comes every evil practice. Watch how quickly your marriage gets destroyed. Watch how quickly you end up in a law court, in a divorce court. Watch how easily before it gets ugly, even violent. The way seems right, but it kills you. So let's jump into moms, women. I'm doing more moms than women, but in some ways I want to submit to you that at some point every woman will be a mom if she lives long enough, even those that don't have biological children. So there's certain things that only women can be, and I do want to say this. The Bible says for some ladies will give up marriage and, and even children for the sake of the kingdom. They'll become like eunuchs for the kingdom. And the good thing with that, Paul would say to you, is that you're going to have a lot more time to serve Jesus. So don't make it your life. I mean, Hollywood indoctrinates you from a little girl. You're going to be the princess. He's going to be the prince. Your prince is Jesus. Your prince is Jesus. He says, I'll be a husband to you. And yes, God might give you a man, but you're going to wish he was Jesus. <laughs> you think he is on the wedding day and about three days after it's most women go or at some point you go what was I thinking what was I? <laughs> and he has to learn to become like Jesus to you and that's a growing process but at the end of the day it is hard isn't it it is hard to submit isn't it it's hard to trust him So you don't have to get married. I do want to say that. But uh, let's quickly look at, again, it's not, in, in when God made the world, he said this in Genesis 2, 21 to 23. God had made a whole lot of stuff. Everything was good. And for the first time, we see him saying something that's not good. And so he decides to give Adam, he's only made a man at this point, and he decides to give Adam help. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. 
she'll be called, whoa, man, for she was taken out of man. Okay. <laughs> so you've got this, this, God puts man to sleep, opens up his side, and, he, and this translation says he took a rib from man's side. Some translations say he took, he took the man's side. It doesn't always have the word rib, because the, the, the Hebrew word is disputed by the best scholars. I'm not coming up with my own interpretation here. This is, depending on what Bible translation it'll have from his side, or take a rib from his side. And, and the word in the Hebrew is tzelan, and I'm not, this is not my little interpretation. This is the NAS concordance of the Bible with Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek dictionaries, the word can mean rib. It can mean side chamber. So, for example, at the temple, when God built the temple through Solomon, there was the main auditorium, and there was the side chamber. And the side chamber was called, guess what? Tzela. It normally means a curved, um, a curved uh, chamber or curved thing. And so we're not sure what it means. The only time the translation's ever tr translated as rib is here, but it's one of those words we're not quite sure what it means. And so the guys, because it's got curve kind of written into the Hebrew, they think it's rib. But Adam says this from that part. She's flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones, which means it's not just rib that's taken. There's flesh taken from him too. There's part of his, his, his body, not just his bone. Does that make sense? And so, if you think of a side chamber at a temple, the same word being used, I want to submit to you something. Adam was made in the image of God, and then God decided that he was going to take something out of Adam. And then God would say, well, that part, selah, we don't know what it means. It could mean rib, it could mean chamber, side chamber. What is a womb? It's a curved room. So some Bible translators say, could it be that this was actually Adam, when he was first made, was made in the image of God, and actually God took him to sleep and took a part of the image of God out of him. And we know it wouldn't just be physical, it would also be the soul, the spirit, her nature would be taken out of God. So Adam no longer reflects God properly in himself. In some ways, he's been cut in half. And he carries some aspects of God. Now she will carry another. And so the Genesis 1.27 picks up on this and says, So God created mankind or man. That word man is a different word for using later. It literally means, some translations say mankind. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what you've got here is you've got God creates man in the image of God. But then actually, man and female together become the image of God. God, each one carrying different aspects of what God is like. And then in Genesis 2.24, the Bible tells us, when a man comes together with a woman in marriage and sexual intimacy, the two become one flesh. So actually, and that word one literally means you become like one entity. The Bible actually picks up on sex being sacred in 1 Corinthians 6.16, 6, it says, If any man has sex with a prostitute or a woman who's not his, uh, the, the, the principle would hold anyone who's not your wife, the two will become one flesh. So now Adam is made, Eve is taken out, and she's separate from him. Flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone, but he's no longer complete. But when the two come back together, <laughs> they're the image of God. 
She reflects aspects of God, and I reflect aspects of God. In the image of God, now, together as one flesh, we reflect Him. Does this make sense? So here's the thing. That means God reveals what He's like through women as much as He does through men, differently. Differently. Both are in the image of God, and we are different. So I was just thinking of some words as I was thinking, well, what does a woman represent? Well, her name is helpmeet, which means most women are very supportive, more than men are. Have you ever noticed women can sit in groups and share their pain and just listen to one another and, oh, oh, that's, have you noticed that? I think sometimes they wonder why we can't do that for them, that it's really hard for us to just sit there and go, oh, because I want to fix it. Often she says, I just want to talk. And I'm like, but you're putting something on me. I don't know what to do with it because I don't, I don't know how to just support you on that. I want to fix it. So sometimes I've got to just, you know what I mean? Hey, you, you try and tell him something that's meaningful to you and he's just trying to find the answer to it. And you're like, no, no, just listen to me. He's designed to fix it. He's designed to find a solution to lead you through it. So he wants to lead out of this place, but you just want support. And you'll give him support when he needs it. You'll just be there holding his hand. Helper. You're made that way. You reflect God in that. Sensitive. Amen are insensitive, eh? I mean, I know there are some gentle guys, but generally, women are sensitive. Often in elders' meetings, the men are like, and then the lady will share this. It's just like, that's what we have. The Bible actually says we are co heirs. We, we, so I'm an elder, she's not, but when we meet as elders, she's with me because she's an heir of the inheritance that we now have as a couple. And so she shares, and often our ladies and our elders ministries bring aspects of sensitivity that we as men just miss. How's this one emotional? Generally, ladies will be more emotional than men will be, generally. Expressive, that's why their homes look awesome and ours don't. If you go visit a bachelor's home, it's just like, yeah, <laughs> cardboard box and a, a mattress on the floor. <laughs> you go into a, a, a bachelorette, a single girl, and her home is beautiful. There's color, there's flower, there's everything that's just beautiful. She's expressive. She's made to express something that he's not. There's submission. Humility, beauty, gentleness, nurture, and care. Men don't naturally nurture. You know, if, if, if your friends, if men are together, uh, a few years ago we were riding segways in England. I had bad flu and I was on a lot of, I was on a lot of um, medication. So I was, but I went because it was with the guys and we were there for a conference and we had a, one time where we had a fun morning. So we're on these little segways. They're like, eh, you lean forward and they go forward. And somewhere along the way, we started racing, which is a typical guy thing. So we were like, yeah, yeah, and these, they're probably going about 30Ks now. It's not that fast, but you're still like, yeah, I'm trying to get this thing as fast as I can go. And then at one point, my heart rate, because of the medication I was on, just went bananas. And I, for the first time in my life, I fainted. I've never done it before. I just, if it, something went wrong with my medication, and I remember at one point just feeling this black feeling coming up. I'm, I'm not even going fast. It's 30Ks an hour. And I remember just, and, and then I wake up on the ground. And Will is next to me trying to, oh, you're right, you're right. Jonathan and all the guys are there with cameras. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> they want to 
post it on Facebook. Yeah, you wuss, you whip, you know. Ah! Now, if that happened among a bunch of ladies and she fell, what would the ladies do? Are they going to be thinking, ah! Or are they going to be, are you all right? Are you right? They're going to be n- nurture. <laughs> and here's the thing. Uh, women reflect something of God that men can't. So we sometimes, because men often are the ones teaching and preaching, we, we miss these aspects. But in Isaiah 66 verse 13, the Bible tells us, as a mother comforts her child, God speaking, so will I comfort you, and you'll be comforted over Jerusalem. As a mother comforts, here God defines himself like a mother comforting a child. And the word in the, in the Hebrew it, it has this feeling of a relief from sorrow or distress. That, that worked out like this when you were small. Who remembers riding a bicycle down the road too fast and your brakes fail or you can't take the corner fast enough and the next thing you know, it's slipping out in the gravel and you whop on the tar and you're like scraping and what's the first word that comes out of your mouth? Mom! Mom! Dad could be right there. It doesn't matter. Mom! <laughs> Because moms are made to nurture. They're made to be there. They're made to comfort. In fact, the word, in its, in, again, in its root means to hold until the circumstance changes. Dads, come on, brush yourself off. Man up. Moms, oh, oh, you were right. Oh, I just want to hold you. <laughs> and now God says this. I come to you like a mother comfort you when you're in pain. I don't always come to you like a dad. I come to you like a mom because she's reflecting what I'm like to you as a child. So many of us go through stuff in life. But God says, I'll be like a mother to you. I'll comfort you wherever you are. Whatever you're going through, I'm there. And I will hold you until the circumstance changes. Another one, she cares and trains for us. I love this one, Thessalonians 2, verse 7 to 8. Uh, Paul, Paul writing again, and he compares himself. He's kind of been working in the churches, and he starts to give the definition of certain things. And he, he says, I was kind of like that. But he says, we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. Like a mother caring for her, for her children. And some translations say like a nursing mother caring for for her children. So here, he's giving the definition of what it is to care. And he isn't, he's a man. He's as a woman, a mother specifically, caring for a child. I had a powerful story that illustrates this true story. It happened in El Paso in Texas. I saw there was a shooting yesterday again in America. But uh, in El Paso, sat on August the 3rd, Saturday morning, 2019, Man walked into a Walmart, which is the equivalent of like a, a shopping mall in America with an automatic weapon and killed 20 people. He just mowed people down indiscriminately with his, with his gun. Uh, there was a couple there, Andre and Jordan and Kondo, and uh, they had just dropped their eldest daughter off at, at cheerleading practice and had gone to Walmart to buy, um, to buy uh, stuff for school uniforms and stuff like that. It was, yeah stuff for school, pencils and stuff like that. And as they were shopping, this man came in 
Jordan, who was the mom, was carrying a two-month-old baby boy, her, her son. They were both killed um, by this shooter. But when they came to her, they found her lying over this little boy, riddled with bullets. And she had literally put herself between the shooter and her child, not thinking of her life to protect. And so that afterwards it said, she pretty much, he pretty much lived because she gave her life. A mom does that. God comes and he, in many ways, reflects something of that for us too. And so God comes in Isaiah 49, verse 15 to 16, and he says this, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. God says, you know what a mom's like? Yeah, that story, that's what moms are like. But even when a mother gets to the end of herself, I'm still there. I'm still caring. And then he actually says, see, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. This is an Old Testament scripture. It's written about 790 BC before Jesus. And already God's starting to show the world and Israel how he's going to die for them like a nursing mother. Because being engraved, what, what, what went through his hands? Nails. See, I've engraved you. Do you know the only scars in heaven? You know when you go to heaven, the scars are gone. But you remember when Jesus was resurrected from the dead? He came to his disciples and he said, touch. The only scars in heaven he carries. Forever. God has engraved you and me on his hands. If your mother forgets you, says, I won't forget you. I'll keep caring for you. And I love that, you know, this, we looked at Jordan dying for uh, her, her son, but in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, for Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. When Jesus died on the cross, engraving us on his hands, which he's just told us, effectively what he's doing is he's saying, there is something in this world called sin and rebellion that started in Adam, and it's in all of us, all of you. And because I love you, and I don't want you to die in your sin, I will die in your place. And so, like a nursing mother, and again, this picture of Jordan sheltering the child with her body, so God comes and shelters mankind with his own body and engraves us forever in his own flesh. God loves you, and he cares for you more than a mother even cared for you. I sometimes wonder, if we, do we know that? Do we, do, we, do we know how much he cares? Do we know that right now he says, he lives in the presence of God to pray for you. He's praying for you right now by name. I ever live to intercede for you. You're forever on his heart. But again, women reflect the side of him, don't they, beautifully. I've got a few more minutes. She rears and raises him. In Ezekiel 19 verse 2, what a lioness was your mother among the lions. She laid out among the young lions and reared her cubs. Here, God uses the analogy of, 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 of literally a lioness raising and rearing her cubs. Uh, the word uh, here, uh, the word for raising and is literally um, to construct, to raise up, and to train up. 
Mother does that. She, she trains, she raises up, she trains and teaches us uh, in everything that she does. And in this, she reflects God. Isaiah 54 verse 13, all your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be your children's peace. God is busy training you up, raising you up like a mother to teach you his ways. <laughs> and again, you've got this picture of how a mom reflects what God is like. It's a sacred thing to be a mom. The Bible tells us to honor a mother and father uh, so that it may go well with us and so that we enjoy a long life. So moms are actually sacred because they reflect something of God. But not just moms, women too reflect something of the image of God in a way that a man never can. The world is going at that and saying, now you can be like him. Why would you want to be like him? When you're called to reflect God as he made you to be. Don't rebel against him. Be who God made you to be. You are made in the image of God. You reflect the glory of God. You bring to the earth a revelation of what he's like to your children. And here's the thing I want to say to you. Your goal in life as a mom shouldn't be that they love you. Your goal in life should be that they see him through you. Because ultimately, your goal is to bring them to him, that they know what he's like through your life, that you reflect him to them. You're called to a holy thing, to train up a generation and bring them up in the ways of the Lord, to bring care, nurture, sensitivity to the house of God. To bring humility and submission as a reflection all the time. The Bible even says a woman's long hair is a sign to the angels of her humility and her submission. Because God, by his very nature, has this within him. For Christ, in Philippians 2, equal with God, humbled himself, became obedient to the Father in everything. He could say to the Father, man, I, I'm, I'm also God. But the nature of God is to go down and say, I'll submit in all things, even the Bible says in Philippians 2, to death on a cross. How many of you ladies have submitted that far yet? And remember, he did say this prayer, because he knows what it feels like. Father, take this cup from me. But not what I will, but what you will. Therefore, because he humbled himself to that place, God raised him up. And gave him glory because he reflected God to the world. In some ways, Christ there reflected what a lady has to do. Honor your husband. Sarah called him, and this is radical things to say today. Sarah called Abraham master, and she's reflected in the New Testament as being a great example for us. Master. Whew. How far is the world, how far is the church fallen from this? But this is the nature of God. And then I want to finish with this. When you come into the church, the Bible says that we become family. So I know there's ladies here that have never had children. But the Bible tells us that actually you're still called to reflect what it is to be a mother. Because in 1 Timothy 5, verse 1 and 2, it says this. Do not rebuke an older man harshly. This is within the community of faith. But exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Treat older women as mothers. 
within the community of faith, as a woman, you're called to be a mother. You're called to mother the young man and the young woman. You're called to reflect care, nurture, sensitivity to the community of faith, not just your own children. I'll never forget growing up, and I'm, I am finished, I'm really coming to land, but as a young man getting born again, and you know, I was, I, I didn't understand the things of the Holy Spirit. Do you know who taught me as a young Christian? A spiritual mom, not, not, not related to me by blood. Bring a couple of us into her home, and she had kids, and we'd often come to her home, and she would teach us about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I spoke in tongues for the first time because she prayed for me. And when I, I struggled with what was going on, she explained what it was about. <laughs> I could tell you so many times where my life was formed and trained and shaped by spiritual moms as I grew up. And they brought me into their family and into their community. I was miles from home, eight hours from where I'd grown up. My parents were a long way away. But in the community of faith, I found mothers. I found women that would genuinely treat me as a son. And I became part of a family. And they shaped and reared and trained me like God does. They were instrumental in what God did. You're not called to spill a pew here. You're called to reflect what it is to be a mother. Now, let me ask you, moms, ladies. I know some of you arrived late. And, but if your kids, your children, your blood children, were coming here this Sunday, how would you respond to them? Would you arrive with your husband and sit down somewhere or on your own and sit down? And, you know, they pull in somewhere and you're just kind of ignoring them and waiting for the meeting to start. If you haven't understood your calling, you haven't understood what God's called you to do. God's calling you to be mothers. So people should walk through these doors because there's a truckload of orphans in our generation. They should walk through these doors and go, family. Do you know how they do that? Because like a mom, nurturing and caring, you left the comfort of your bed for your little one. You leave the comfort of your chair. And you go and love them. You pray with them. You send it to them. And as you do that, you reflect God to them. And they grow up with a proper understanding of the king and the kingdom. Don't miss part of your calling. Be spiritual moms. One day those cubs might change nations. And you were part of rearing and training them. Being a woman is a beautiful thing. Being a man's not better. Patriarchy, by the way, is a swear word today. It's actually a Bible concept. <laughs> but at the same time, while men have a role to play, so do women. And wherever you go in the world, you're called to reflect that. Don't be indoctrinated by 666. Don't try and find your value outside of the Bible. Come back to the Word of God. And align yourself with God so that he can send you to the furthest ends of the earth. And the devil will not be able to deceive you. Because you know who you are inside and what God's made you to be. And you stay faithful and true to the calling he's given you. To the purpose he put you on the earth for. And in all things you reflect him well. I'm finished. Why don't we just bow our heads and close our eyes. And, and just, you know, we finished, but I do want to end this with a prayer. And I, just listen to me um, as we close this meeting. We heard a story, a true story that happened in El Paso about a, a woman called Jordan who literally shielded her two-month-old son from bullets. Lay down her life to 
protect him. We began this meeting with this rebellion against God. And the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that every single person on planet earth has rebelled against God, has sinned. There's not one of us that hasn't. In Romans 6.23, the Bible tells us the consequence of this rebellion. It is such a big thing. The consequence is death. By living life our way, we end up dying here. World, the world falls apart. It doesn't work the way it should. Our relationships break down. Our, our, our health, everything breaks down because we are in rebellion to God. But God so loved the world, the Bible goes on to say. He so loved you that he died for you. He died in your place on the cross. He took the bullets you should have actually received because of sin. If you had today, I know that there's been a lot bombarding your thinking and bombarding how you define right and wrong and how you live your life. Many here today, you might even be living your life your way for yourself. You don't live for the glory of God. You don't seek the kingdom above all else. You are not here to bring God glory. You actually are living for your own glory. All of these things are rooted in Adam's sin. And God wants to save you. God wants to bring you into life and into his kingdom and into his purposes. He wants to spend an eternity with you. But the only way that's going to take place is if you acknowledge your rebellion. You acknowledge that you've turned away and become in some ways worthless. You've lived life your way. You've done it, your, you've done it the way you want to do it. You haven't bowed your knee and said, Jesus, forgive me and be my Lord. I want to live from this point on for you and for your glory. My life is not my own. I was bought. I was loved. I was brought into your family. And as your child, I want to live for your glory, Father.